Lord willing, tonight we'll be able to wrap up. Um, this is the fourth part of dealing with um, this heavy topic for our time, which is the first heavy topic. We've got several more that we're going to deal with um, over the next, I don't know how long it's going to go. I always say, you know, the next few Sundays, <laughs> and, and typically a lot of these series that we do, you know, a year later, we're still working on, on different ones throughout the series, uh, such as Think Before You Speak. I don't even know when I started that one, but it was sometime, I think it was actually 2020 when I started that, but uh, on Wednesday nights, but, um, or 2021, but we, uh, we're, we're looking and starting dealing with these heavy topics. We've been dealing with um, the, the issue of tithing and the argument that, that's made constantly concerning whether or not uh, the idea of tithing is even a New Testament command or expectation for the church. Um, and, and so we, we began to look at it um, several Sundays ago with a couple of interruptions in between. But uh, we began to look at the three, ar- three main arguments. Um, we started with the third of the three, which is uh, giving a New Testament times it was based on whatever a person felt led to give and, uh, and taking it from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15 with the misinterpretation of that scripture being labeled as tithing and it wasn't tithing, uh, it wasn't what we would call tithing. Uh, that was a free will offering, an opportunity we mentioned to give for those in need at the church of Jerusalem And so it was a special offering. And today we still take up special offerings. And it is according to that which God has laid on your heart, that which you're able to, what you feel led to do uh, in giving above and beyond. And so uh, the principle of giving above and beyond as you are led to give, uh, that is a, a good principle. And that is exactly what's happening in context there in 2 Corinthians but it was not a time of regular give, giving for the church. It was a time of special giving and uh, for a need. And so we, we kind of push that argument aside for the fact that most people use that passage of Scripture with the wrong context in order to say that New Testament giving is only based on if you feel like it. Um, then we, the second argument we dealt with was people in the Bible only gave crops or animals, not money. And again, I told you, please don't ever come to me with that argument um, because there's only about four or five dozen passages of Scripture that can completely blow that out of the water. And so, um, the, yes, were they, did they give of their crops? Yes. Did they give of, of, their, of the animals or their flocks? Yes, they did. Uh, but did they give of the money as well? Yes, they did. And so um, that, that argument as a whole uh, just doesn't hold any water that boat sinks rather quickly, and so I'm not going to go into all that we dealt with there, um, but we pretty much um, blasted that one out of the water with Scripture itself as well. Uh, then the, the number one argument, and I'm sure there's probably some others that people have come up with over time, but the number one argument that is often brought up concerning tithing is tithing is not a New Testament command. It is only an Old Testament Mosaic law issue. Um, and so we began to deal with that and look at, um, at, at that, that issue based on the fact that uh, the only way to, to really explain um, or deal with that argument 
was to, to look at, at several things, which I'm not going to go over all of it in detail, but we began to look at what is tithing by definition. It is by definition a tenth um, uh, in, in its rough understanding of 10%. But at the same time, um, we had to look at tithing based off not just Mosaic law of the Old Testament, but uh, you had to look at it in contrast of three different time frames, pre-law, uh, Mosaic law, or the actual kind of hinge to everything, and then post-law time frames. Uh, did, it, did tithing or giving uh, in that nature, um, does, it, does it predate the law given to Moses and the children of Israel, and does it follow after the law was, was pretty much set aside in what we call now the, the age of grace, not, not law? Um, and so we began to look at tithing under the Mosaic Law. That was uh, last week, we, well, last Sunday. So tithing under, under the Mosaic Law. And of course, we did bring out that you know, the idea of 10% is really a box that is too small. It, it is very narrow-minded in that sense of being locked into an idea of just 10%. It honestly would just be a tipping God in that, in, in that aspect because even underneath Mosaic Law, there were technically three basic tithes that were required of the children of Israel, the regular tithe, the festival tithe, and then the charity tithe, which was every three years, they would take a special charity. It wasn't an extra offering. It was an actual tithe. There was a certain amount uh, required in the charity tithe used for widows, orphans, and needy, and things of that nature. The regular tithe was used to support the temple and the priests, uh, and the Levites and all, and the festival tithes, naturally, we said that's an automatic. Uh, it's not hard to understand where that money went. Uh, that was used for providing for the festivals, which there are several of in the Jewish uh, cultures. And in the culture and the, and, and the teachings they had, especially back in Mosaic Law. But um, we dealt with some of that kind of stuff. But we said as a whole, it wasn't 10%. Even the children of Israel as a whole, when you average it out per year, uh, you find out that they were actually mandated and required to tithe 23.3%. Most folks today would have a heart attack if anybody gave the idea that that was required today. But, um, and we also mentioned that it was a regular tithe, uh, an annual regular tithe. It wasn't like, an every, like we would come, you know, every Sunday or whatever, and we, we give, or each month we give. It was an annual thing, so they laid up in store, and annually they brought that entire store. They brought all that they had laid up, and they brought it to the Lord in an annual basis. Again, uh, that would be something today that would be hard. We talked about that uh, last Sunday evening. Imagine what it is sometimes to, to give of, of the increase that we have received. Imagine if you stored that up all year long and gave it in one lump. Imagine just how tempting that would be to find about, I don't know, uh, 100 or 200 different ways that that could be used for yourself. Uh, but again, that's all the Mosaic Law. And then we looked at the, the predate Mosaic Law. Um, and... and just as a simple thing, I did say this, and I'll say it again. We do not believe, I, I do not believe, and, and I, I, it's very easy to show if you read, if you went back and read yourself, or you spent some time reading underneath the Mosaic Law and all the details of it. We do not follow the Mosaic Law or the law version of tithing. We don't. If we did, uh, we would have to have a booklet that explains how to do it on a regular basis, and it'd probably be about that thick. 
And, uh, and so there's a lot, a lot of details to it. We do not follow a Mosaic law tithe. But does tithing predate the law? We talked about that as well last week. And we went all the way back and, and we, came, we, we dealt with Abraham giving to Melchizedek. We dealt with Jacob vowing to give a tenth of all he had or would gain to the Lord, his God, prior to the Mosaic law. Um, and then we looked at the strongest, I believe, evidence of an even greater command that continues from Genesis all the way through, um, through I believe, to Revelation, even to the churches. Uh, they, they have left in the, the, the first um, um, issue that was presented in Thou Hast Left Thy First Love. I believe the idea of God being first, and we dealt with the law of first fruits which is a law that continues. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, I want you to start off with me, not in Malachi 3, we're not going to go there, but I want you to start off with me in Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs 3, I have not used this passage yet because we had to get past uh, the point of explaining the law of first fruits to, to not give away the punchline, you might say, uh, in Proverbs chapter 3. And so we dealt with the first fruits and how it goes, I believe, all the way back to Cain and Abel and the offering that they brought. And, uh, and by the way, my, my wife, and yes, I added it to my notes. My wife came to me and said, ooh, ooh, I got something you need to look at. And I had not put that, this in here, and I had not, um, not uh, really looked at it much, so I did later. And I thought, man, of all people to bring me something, Really? But uh, I looked at it, and we're talking about how, how Cain brought his offering, but God had not respect unto his offering. But Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock, which is a good indication we're dealing with first fruits, the idea that God is due the firsts of all that we have, of all of our gain, of all that we, we increase with. And uh, because the increase is from him anyways, therefore he deserves off the top out of, out of the honor for the Lord. We'll see that in Proverbs. But, um, but we said that we believe that it's very much an indication that it was a first fruits offering, whether done for sacrifice or not, didn't matter. It was a first fruits offering. And God had not respect to Cain because it's very evident that Abel brought of the firstlings, but the Bible does not say that Cain brought of the, the, the first of his crops, it just said that he brought of the field uh, and, and Cain brought of that which he had grown. But it doesn't say that Cain actually brought the first and God had not respect to what he brought. And God told him, if thou doest well, wilt thou not be accepted? In other words, I believe God said, if you'll go back and bring what you were supposed to bring, would I not approve of what you have brought in honesty to me? But Cain refused to bring of that which was required that I believe was the first fruits to the Lord. And, uh, and I will give you this for a backing, and we're going to go to Proverbs 3. Uh, so where do you find that very possibly that was first fruits as well? Well, uh, you look at uh, Jude chapter 1, which is only one chapter, but Jude one eleven. Listen to what the Bible says. Woe unto them. For they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. 
Now that entire verse deals with the greediness of gain and the keeping the way, what is the way of Cain? The way of Cain has to be in relation to the greedy, gone greedily after the era of Balaam for reward. What did Balaam do? Balaam was not supposed to put a curse on Israel. Balaam wasn't supposed to listen to the Lord, but Balaam went after the promised goods. He wanted to do it his way instead of God's way, and he tried to curse Israel three different times, and God kept keeping him from doing it. But why did he do it the entire? Because he greedily went after gain. And after reward, and then perished in the gainsaying, the trying to gain of more of Korah. And so you have all three of these individuals taking that are trying to gain off of that which actually should have belonged to God or they had no business handling. We even dealt with Jericho and, uh, and Achan, and Achan took that which belonged to God. He said that this is, the, the, the Jericho was the first fruit, it was the first battle, it was the first of everything. We talked about that Wednesday night. Jericho was another picture of God is deserving of and requires the first of all that which he gives to us. It is his to start with. And when Achan took of that which belonged to God, and God called it a cursed thing, it is mine. It's my victory. It's my city. It's my spoils. Keep your hands off. But Achan couldn't keep his hands off. And because of him, the entire children of Israel sinned against God by taking that which was God's. I believe it goes all the way back to Cain. And Cain refused to bring of his first. He kept it for himself and tried to offer God less than what God was deserving of. And, uh, and there's so much more we can go into, but that, that's, we're trying to get to the New Testament, all right? So let's look at Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the, what's that word? First fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. It's interesting that, it, now, by the way, has anybody noticed that the book of Proverbs is still applicable to today? Anybody, anybody read the book of, at least the, the, the daily proverb, the day associated with, uh, the chapter associated with the day of the week, uh, the day of the month, the week, <laughs> with the, the, uh, the day of the month, uh, as you read through Proverbs, you can do it over and over and over and over again. And if there's, if there's one book that proves that this book is a living book, one book within this Bible is the book of Proverbs because you can year, read it month after month, year after year, day after day. You can read the same book your entire lifetime, reading it one chapter that matches the day of the month all the way through your entire life and throughout the entire thing, the book of Proverbs, your entire life will constantly, God will feed you with wisdom and truth that you need over and over and over and over again. It never fails to provide wisdom. And if we say that Proverbs is valid in all those aspects of our life, then we have to admit that uh, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 is also still valid. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. There is the command and there is also the promise of blessing because of obedience. Now, I want you to go with me uh, over very quickly um, to 
Oh, let me see where we're going to start here. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to pray here in just a moment. We're going to jump in and, 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 uh, and really get into this. I'm going to try to, to, to look at this concerning the New Testament and, um, and concerning did Jesus ever speak or instruct us in this area of tithing or giving. And we're going to look at all these things, Lord willing, here tonight and be able to get through this very quickly. I'm going to try to move quick so we can finish it up. I want to move on to the next topic uh, and, uh, and stop uh, harping on this one, amen? And so I think I'll get the point is mo- mostly, but the whole, the whole thing is to give us the, um, especially if you're taking notes, to give you um, the full understanding of, of the truth and the facts concerning giving throughout the Bible. So we don't want to stop short. But let me, let me pray real quick, and then we'll jump into, into 1 Corinthians 16 in just a moment and, uh, and begin to look at a couple, just a couple of areas when it comes to New Testament, and then we're going to go straight to what Christ said as well. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. And I pray as we look at this, you give clarity of thought. Uh, Lord, allow all these pieces to come together. And uh, as we look at your word, as we look at the truth of biblical giving in, in the church age in this time, Lord, where it is that we are, are commanded, the things that we are, uh, Lord, by you expected to obey in this area of giving that which belongs to God, to God. And I pray that you'd help us to see it, understand it. Lord, have that much more confidence in what it is that we believe. And we, we will trust you for it and help you to teach us in areas where we need to be taught. Help us to give wisdom, give us wisdom where we need wisdom, Lord. You know exactly what's needed. We trust you for it, and we'll thank you for all that you do in our hearts and lives. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So is tithing, quote-unquote, tithing actually found in the New Testament? Now, go back to the idea of, I said, we, we're not comparing this to Mosaic Law tithing. I'll just tell you, it is not, New Testament tithing is not Mosaic Law tithing in its essence of all the laws and all the guidelines and all the things that were expected and required. But we are looking at the idea of what we consider tithing. And I mentioned it last week. When we talk about tithing, when we say New Testament tithing, we are not putting it within a box of a 10%. I'll just be, let's just be honest. It's not a box of 10%. It is a looking at an understanding there is the law of first fruits that God is to be honored with the first of all our increase that goes from Genesis all the way through that God is first in our lives and receives the first of all our benefits and our blessings. And so uh, we look at this whole idea of tithing in New Testament times and, and we can't put it within that box of what people want to call it. We have to look at what it really is in the aspect of first fruits. Now, there's not a large number of passages concerning giving, at least it's direct speaking of giving, in the New Testament. There's not a whole lot. However, there are enough to verify the command to give is valid. Okay? And, uh, and it is a, an expected command of the church to be givers. Um, the New Testament... Giving goes beyond that mere idea, as we mentioned, of tithe. To focus only on the fulfilling of the quote-unquote tithe mentality, a 10% mentality, would simply be an act of undermining the true focus of New Testament giving. We already made mention that 
uh, the New Testament grace does not eliminate the principles of the law. Now, we're not talking about salvation. But we're talking about all the principles of the law fulfilled in Christ. We'll do that. We'll deal in just a minute. But fulfilled in Christ, and the bar was raised. Thou, thou shalt not kill, Old Testament law. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder already in your heart. Raise the bar. Thou shalt not commit adultery, but if you look on a woman to lust after her, thou, thou hast committed adultery already in your heart. Raise the bar. Which one's higher, law or grace? Grace. To whom much is given, much is required. We have been given much. The greatest of our miracles was when my Jesus saved me. And because of the great gift of salvation, with a great gift comes also great responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. We, by the way, we could never do enough uh, to give back unto God of that which he has given us just in Christ alone not to mention all the extra things he does to bless us on a daily basis. And so, uh, we, knowing there's not a whole bunch of passages, I do want to point, we already looked at, at, uh, at 2 Corinthians and that focus there. I'm not going to go there, but in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, you do see um, something that, that, is, that is interesting from the Apostle Paul to focus on. Now, we have to understand that um, we are taught in God's word that giving is an act of the heart. New Testament giving is an act of the heart. And when our heart is right with God, our heart has no problem giving unto the Lord. But it is an act of the heart. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, Bible says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Uh, by the way, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, but he references how he has already written to the churches at Galatia to do the same thing. So this is not just a pointed to one church. He has, he has spread at this and he has shared this same command. You'll also find in other passages of Scripture where near the end he tells the church he has written to uh, to share the letter they have received with the other churches as the other churches are commanded to share the letter they have received with them. And so you find that Paul intends for all the churches which he has uh, personally had influence in starting and reaching these people for Christ, he intends that one letter honestly be spread about because it is a teaching, it is a command and, and a guideline of giving that all are to be aware of in the churches of the different areas and locations. And so he says, I've already sent to Galatia and I'm telling you, you need to do the same thing. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Now, this is, this is not a, a collection of a special offering. Now, it says, well, but, but it's for the collection of the saints. No, for the saints. Well, can I be honest with you? Uh, when you think about it, anything that the church receives and it goes into the ministries of the work of God, who is benefiting from the ministries that are done? Is it not the saints of God? And we know that our missions around the world and, and getting missionaries around, it, the benefit also is the loss being reached with the gospel. But, uh, but to, to whose account is that fruit being placed? The saints of God. Because those that assist in getting the gospel around the world, everyone reached 
by the missionaries we support or the giving we do even in in the local work that we do, what the church is able to invest in and do to reach people, every person reached, there is is reward and there, there is benefit placed on the account of all those who have participated in helping to make sure that this ministry can keep going, especially in the areas of financial need. Now, again, giving is more than just financial, but that's what we're dealing with, so that's what we're going to focus on, okay? And so don't, get, don't think that we're locking in on money, 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 money. No, giving has a lot more to do with the heart and with us personally than it does with our pocketbook. But if God, we said it before, if God has me, he's got all of me, even the pocketbook. All right? So in this area of giving, he's talking about a collection for the saints He's given order to the churches at Galatia and now also to the churches at Corinth. And upon the first day of the week, he said to lay in store and God, as God hath prospered him, that's increase, that's gain, that there be no gatherings when I come. He said, I don't want to have to come and do this gathering. If you've already done it on a regular basis consistently, then we're ready to go upon the moment of need. We have what's needed for the ministry. So he's, he's thinking ahead, and that is planning in that sense, which is not a bad thing in most, most cases where possible. goes on to say, and when I come, verse number three, and when I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be met uh, that I go also, meet that I'll go also, they shall go with me. And now I know this is going, going to the church of Jerusalem. It is going to the ministry there at Jerusalem. But I'll remind you, each church was established individually, but there was a central basis of the church at Jerusalem at that time. There was a, you might want to put it this way, a central hub of the ministries that happened. And, uh, and the church of Jerusalem was really the, uh, one of the number one sending and, and helping ministries right there uh, that's where everything started. That's where everything kind of seemed to focus around in the early days. And, uh, and so he's talking about the collection that the church would make. And it, just put it this way. It's the collection for the ministry. And, uh, and so we see this command is here, yes. But then also, if you go with me very quickly, over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is the only other place we're going to look at for tonight uh, in the area of New Testament giving. But over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through verse number 20, we see another familiar time of giving. Now, this is what I would say probably is linked more to, um, to giving towards missions than anything else, all right? Because this is some things that Paul himself benefited from. But uh, it looks here, look here in Philippians 4, starting in verse number 10, it says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and uh, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Uh, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Basically, he's just saying, I've learned to be balanced and just trust God through it all. Whether I've got plenty or I've got lack, I can just trust God. He goes on to verse number 14, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. How, how did they communicate? Verse number 15, 
Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye all only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. How did the church have the ability to send to the need of missionary Paul and help him along his journey if the church was not collecting and receiving as a body and then able to take that as a body and be a blessing to the ministry of Paul. So this is happening and Paul's pointing it out. The church is receiving, the church is giving, the church is deciding to take that which is received and at least in some portion, communicate with his need in the ministry. And, uh, and he goes on and says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever Amen. I'm going to stop right there in reading. But Paul is dealing once again with the church receiving funds, people giving through the local church so as to be ministers unto those in the ministry. And, uh, and by the way, God uses his people to, to further and to help keep, uh, keep financially rolling. And I, I said it before, I, I wish the ministry didn't cost anything. I wish missionaries could go to the mission field and not have to worry about anything concerning money. It'd be so nice to not just set all that kind of stuff aside, not to worry about any of that, and it just, you know, everything's just free. If you believe in socialism, it should be. But, um, but that's not reality. Reality is, unfortunately, it does cost in money to further the gospel Though, by the way, I would say if we are willing to go ourselves and willing to put some footwork in ourselves, uh, in some aspects, we, we can save the church money by being willing to be the feet and hands ourselves and not always just paying somebody else to go do it. We could personally be more active. But, uh, but again, it all comes down to the fact that there, there is financial need and God uses his people. And by the way, God uses the faithfulness of his people, which goes back to what are we faithful about? Faithful about giving that which belongs to God, giving back into his trust of uh, uh, the first fruits of the portion of blessings in which he's blessed my life. I give him the first fruits back and then he takes the first fruits and he just re-puts it right back into the ministry and keeps it going and it keeps, the bank has nothing on God. The bank might, might recycle money and put things through and think that they're doing pretty good with their interest rates and everything. They have nothing on God. God can take 10% or whatever percent, he can take whatever we give in that aspect. And if we give of the heart and we give out of obedience by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we give of that which is the proper amount of our first fruits in proportion to what God has done for us, um, God can take an increase far beyond our capabilities to use that same portion of money for ourselves. He can take it far beyond. As one preacher put it, uh, God can do more for you with nine-tenths than you can do for you with ten-tenths if you want to get down to the literal 10% idea. 
But I wouldn't want to put God in a box because honestly, there are many times where it has nothing to do with 10% because God actually lays in my heart at times uh, beyond that number to give. We're not talking about just tithes, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but when it comes to giving, there's also the area of the free will offerings. The area of free will offering, that's at any, any given moment beyond what you've already done, God lay on your heart possibly to go, go be a blessing to someone. That's a free will offering. Not necessarily going through the church per se, but uh, had, had the Lord ever laid it? Y'all ever gone to a restaurant and the Lord ever laid it in your heart when you're about to give that little bit of a tip that you were gonna give? And the Lord said, yeah, I don't think so. But, but Lord, you know, it wasn't like that's the best amount of service I've ever had. And God says, yeah, but... Um, <clears throat> You don't know what they've gone through either in the day. You don't know how tired they are, and you don't know what kind of a testimony it can be. You put that small little bill up, and you take out the larger one. Okay, Lord. Nope, not that one. Well, fine. Nope, not that one. Okay, Lord, which one do you want? The one I have hidden way back in the back? Yep, that's the one. And, and you give, by the way, when we give according to the leading of the Holy Spirit in that way, that is above and beyond. That is a free will offering to be a blessing to those in need. I don't know what the need is. I don't know how it is that they're going to use it or how it is going to be a blessing to them. But I got a God that's aware of it, and he lays it on my heart. My responsibility is not to know everything about what they're going to do. My responsibility is to know what he's required me to do, and that is to be faithful with what he's laid on my heart to do. That obedience leads us to do beyond. And by the way, if, you really, if you're really giving out of love and out of a genuine heart and obedience to God, you're not going to track how much it is. You're not going to track whether or not I've, I, I reached my 10%. I've done my duty. That's not of the heart. That's just out of basic idea of obedience. And, and if I give the bare minimum of obedience, is it truly obedience? Or is it just trying to get by? Again, you say, this is not the easiest stuff. All right, let's, since that, that went over like a lead brick, um, let's, um, I will say this. If we are stingy about what we think is ours, no amount of evidence would be enough to change a selfish heart. By the way, it's dealing with the heart. It's dealing with not just the tithing, but offerings, ultimately first fruits, that which we belongs to God because of his blessings on us. But if I want to keep what's, what I think is mine, no amount of proof is going to convince me otherwise because I've already decided I'm selfish. I want to keep it. So did Jesus, let's get on to the last one here. Did Jesus ever instruct us to tithe? I got to hurry up. Did Jesus ever instruct us to tithe? Well, to start with, I'm not going to go there, but we've already dealt with it some. Remember what we've already covered concerning what Jesus said about the law in Matthew 5. He said, think not that I am come to destroy the law. Not come to destroy it, I've come to fulfill. You keep reading, and again, not gonna go back to it. You can go back and refresh your memory if you want to, that'd be great. But uh, he continues on and actually lays the foundation that the principles of the law, principles still applied, and until all is completed, until heaven and earth pass away. Well, when is that going to take place? Heaven and earth pass away. New heaven and new earth. We read a little bit of that this morning over in the book of Revelation. 
until that takes place, there's not one bit of the law that is eliminated. You say, wait a second. Wait, do we, you're saying that we believe that the law is necessary for salvation? Absolutely not. Now you're taking two different things and trying to mesh them together. Just because I don't, the law teaches me I am a sinner and in need of salvation, the law is my schoolmaster. It shows me who I am. It can't take care of the problem. It just shows me who I am. It's like looking into a mirror. The mirror can't clean me up, but it sure shows me what I look like. But if I know what I look like, then I can go to that which can wash me. And that is the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the law does not save. The law has nothing to do with salvation. It cannot forgive us. It just shows me I need forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ alone can save. So what does the law apply to? How is the law not done away? Well, Christ said, I didn't come to destroy it. I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it, and it is still applicable through life until heaven and earth pass away. There's not one part of the law that's going to pass away. It still applies which is why, again, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not have, no other, have any other gods before me. All these aspects of law still apply. They're still good for God's people. There are principles that are given to us, and the law, you might say, set in stone the principle of understanding that God is first and that his blessings on us place us in an, an expectation, you might say, to give honor to whom honor is due, and that would be giving of our firsts to the God who's already given so much to us. So did Jesus instruct? Well, he said, he talked about that area of the law not passing away in the aspects of the, the important teachings there are that still apply to us today. But going on, and looking under this, look at Matthew 17, very quickly. We're going to look at these seven, just a couple of verses, a passage of Scripture, and then we will, we will be done for tonight. I've got, I've got a few other, I might just skip them, that right there. All right? I told you, I want to finish tonight. I do not want to keep, keep on, on pushing it, all right? So, uh, yes, is giving, biblical giving in the New Testament? Yes, it is. Uh, is it mentioned as a strict 10% tithe? No, it's not. Matter of fact, it's raising a bar to the fact that 10% is actually too little when you think about it, considering what God has increased us and blessed us with daily. It's about what God lays in my heart, not just what I want to do, but what he commands me and what he lays out for me to do, which typically is going to be above what this flesh would want to do. And so it's not a box of 10%. It's what God deserves ultimately and what he can entrust with me to be a faithful steward of. But going on, Matthew 17, uh, this right here is, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 17 and Matthew 22 together. Um, I kind of put it together here so that we can kind of see the basis of it. And by the way, Jesus did not have any accidents of when he did things and why he did things. Very purposeful. In Matthew chapter 17, this is Christ concerning the comparison of, of, of giving to God and giving of taxes. <laughs> this, this is a very unpopular verse with some people. Um, when it comes to taxes. But uh, Matthew 17, verse number 24 through verse number 27, as kind of laying a foundation what we'll see, uh, of what we'll see over Ma Matthew 22. But in Matthew 17, verse 24, the Bible says, And when they were come to Capernaum, that they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, 
Doth not your master pay tribute? Taxes, by the way. He saith, yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Now, he's going through and he's laying out what most people will say. Yeah, you see, you see, (laughs) we shouldn't have to pay taxes. Even Jesus said that. But then let's go and look at what he actually teaches, which is consistent with what he continued to teach his, his disciples on a regular basis. He said, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money take, that take and give unto them for me and thee. Did Jesus pay taxes? Yes, he did. Did he have to? Technically, no. Why did he? Lest he would become an offense and a problem. Now, now, beyond all that, now let's look at what I believe he knew was coming, and it just backed up what he did right here in verse number, chapter number 17. Go to chapter number 22. Here is where we're now going to liken it and where Jesus himself is going to teach a truth that, uh, that a lot of times gets passed over a little bit or pushed aside. Matthew 22, look at verse number 15. You could also, later on if you want to, go to Luke 20, verse 19 to 26. You see the same account given, well, a little bit different wording, but the same account given. But in Matthew 22, verse 15, down to verse number 22, it says, Then uh, went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Now, they're blowing smoke. All right, they're there and they're trying to look like they're great followers and they believe him and he is always teaching that which is right and true. They're trying to entangle him and trap him. Then they say, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now remember, there's a few chapters earlier. He said, lest lest we are an offense, go ahead, go down. I wish we could still do that. I wish we could still go fishing, pull pull out a fish and pull all the taxes we need to pay from the fish's mouth. Wouldn't that be nice? But uh, but go there, get a fish, and then give that coin, take that, and it'll be for me and for thee. Now we come to this point, and they're trying to trap him. And it says in verse number 18, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? He was always so nice. Verse number 19, show me the tribute money. And they brought him a penny. And he saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. And that's where the Bible stops, right? 
Oh, you mean he wasn't just going to teach them that that coin and what was Caesar's written under Caesar? You mean he's actually going to make a comparison to something that still remains true today? Jesus himself is going to say something that applies to giving even today? Yep. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. What is the premise of what we've seen from all the way in Genesis all the way through even the New Testament, the things that are God's. What is the one word understanding of that which belongs to God? First fruits. Render unto Caesar that which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. Will a man rob God? Malachi 3. Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings? Wrap it up in the understanding of first fruits, giving, giving honor, honor God with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. That continues to ring true even with Christ. But then look one more time with me. Christ concerning tithing specifically in Matthew 23, 23. Okay, so one chapter over from where we are, Matthew 23. Now you have, and this also is accounted for in Luke 11, verse number 42. But Matthew 23, verse number 23, listen to what Jesus said. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Again, he's so nice. For ye pay tithe of mint and, and uh, anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now watch. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Now, what, what is he teaching here? It's very, very simple. He's not getting on to them for tithing and for giving and saying, that's not necessary. You're focused on all the wrong things. You should be focused over here and here only. That's not what he says. He says, these ought ye to have done. What are these? The tithe of mint and anise and cumin. These ought ye to have done. And not leave the other undone. And those are the weightier matters of the law and judgment and mercy and faith. And matter of fact, you go over in, in uh, Luke 11 and 42, it talks about uh, love. He says, hey, not that you should not give and should not be faithful in your tithe, not be faithful in these areas. You should do these. But don't leave out the other half of the equation in May I put it this way for us? In a Christian life. Well, well, I give God what he's due. Why do I got to keep doing this? When you, preachers always preaching about serving God more and doing more and giving him more time and spending more time in the Bible, spending more time doing this and doing Why do I got to do all this stuff? We've we got so many things we have to do as Christians. I tithe already. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Not that tithing is bad. Not that giving is bad. Not that giving even above and beyond is bad. But may I say, sometimes it's a lot easier to pull this out and 
I'm taking it back, by the way. So you just throw the money at it. Then let's see if I can do this without messing up. Here's the problem. We're really good at throwing money at it when God would rather us step in it ourselves. Sometimes when God's working deep on the heart, it's a lot easier to get him off my case by, all right, I had to ease my conscience a little bit. Maybe he'll leave me alone for a while because I gave him extra. When ultimately, may I say, God's not after this. Mind you what Mordecai told Esther in a roundabout way. I can't quote it word for word right now, but if you won't, God will find another who will. He doesn't have to have my pocketbook. He's not interested in this. He's interested in this. And by the way, when I've got this on my person and God has me as a whole, guess what he has with it? Everything. It's not about, and we said before, giving is not about God taking from us. It's about opening the doors of opportunity for God to pour out to us because of obedience, he can pour out the blessing. Does that mean that God's gonna prosper you in great ways and you'll be a millionaire if you just give a little bit to God? No. God's, hey, you know what? If I give to God and I, I take this little bit and I throw, I give all this to God, then God owes me the car that I want and the house that I'm looking for, for the price that I expect. <laughs> no. No, we're, we're not bargaining chip with God. We're not trying to barter with God. But God cannot bless disrespect or disobedience. But when I'm faithful to give of that which by honor is already due to him. My first fruits. And may I put it this way? And this is, since we're on the topic, I want to say it now so I can leave it alone later. I don't believe in a household that giving is of one person's income. You ready? If you make increase... First fruits is applied to each individual that receives increase. Oh, no, but the husband's a breadwinner. We only tithe off of what he receives. In this day and age, in most cases, both of the breadwinners. But regardless, it's a personal thing. I'll give you this, not trying to brag or anything. I'm not going to tell you how much. I just need to say it. My wife makes an income based off of what she does. Even when she would sew for people and do different stuff or teach this piano and gets gain. 
everything she earns through the labor of her hands or the work and abilities that God has given her, it's accounted for personally. And then everything that I receive is accounted for personally, whether it's the church or anything else I do for others and somebody gives me a little extra, it's accounted for personally. And it's not a mine and only mine and she gets to keep everything. No, no, her increase is between her and God. It is increased. She owes God the first fruits. My increase, I owe God my first fruits. It is his and his alone. I only have it because he blessed me with it. And he deserves the honor and the respect of saying, God, you have blessed me. And because of the blessings, I thank you. You are worthy of way more. But Lord, here is my first fruits of everything. And by the way, anything you lay on my heart, here's the offerings, here's missions, here's extra above and beyond even as you lead me. But God, here are my first fruits. I don't believe tithe is just one aspect of a household. I believe every single household. Let's just go further. My children, they work a job. They make money. Guess what? They don't get off just because mom and daddy tithe. Our children are expected to know what they've made and what God has given them and what they owe God in their own first fruits because of God's blessings on their life. It is their obedience to God. And what I do in my obedience doesn't cover them in their personal aspect. Now, I know that that may be very unpopular in a lot of ways, and I need to stop for sake of time. But it's not about making sure that I tip God with my tenth. It's about making sure that I give of my first fruits that which belongs to God. Now, does the tenth give me an idea in my mind? And here's, here's what I would, the way I would put it. A tenth gives me a guideline of proportion of how I can view things. And yes, do I go according to, in a sense, for me, do I go by a basis of 10%? Yes, I do. 10% off the top is automatic, but that's just the starting point. That's just the base. Beyond that is whatever God lays in my heart. And most of the time, even in regular tithe, most of the time, it, we don't, calculate down to the penny to make sure we only we give God only down to the penny. We don't want to give him any more. I know, I know, that's uncomfortable preaching. I get it. But I'm telling you, I'll, I'm promising this. Your pastor is not preaching what he does not actually follow. I believe it's Bible. I practice the very thing that I say I believe, and that's not bragging. That's just letting you know I'm doing my, I do my best not to be a hypocrite, to preach it, but not actually do it. And I will say this, nobody's giving records around here, and it's there because of, of financial reasons and legal, legalities and stuff like that. But nobody's giving records is open to anybody else. But if you ever want to know that your pastor is actually giving, you ask me. I'll give you a copy of everything. I don't care. I have nothing to hide. I don't have anything to brag about either. I just don't, you know, it's fine. If you need to know for sure that your pastor's not being a liar and a thief against God, that's fine. I'll have Miss Rebecca print it off and I'll display it for everybody if you want to. But I'll guarantee you this, you won't be able to accuse your pastor of not giving that which honors God and even going above and beyond for missions or for any other cause and purpose. Because I can never give to God more of which he's given to me. And I can never outgive the blessings that he outpours to me.
Giving is biblical. Giving is New Testament. The idea of tithing may not be Old, Old Testament law tithing idea, but the idea of tithing enwrapped and encapsulated in the, in the understanding of first fruits of that which belongs to God, I believe is still New Testament command. It still applies. If we want to be obedient to honoring the Lord with my substance and with the first fruits of all my increase. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. I know it's been a lot.